This is the Jaguars Broadcast Weekend Review Podcast presented by TIAA Bank. J.P. Shadrick with the best of the week from Jaguars Radio, Jaguars.com, and of course our social channels, Jaguars Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Thanks for listening on Jaguars.com through the podcast link at the top of the homepage or on the official Jaguars Podcast Network. That's on iHeartRadio, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you download your pods. We love feedback, of course, so leave us a comment and a five-star rating. Let's begin with Friday's pre-draft media luncheon. Usually the food is fantastic, but the comments are bland, as the football leadership usually hates to give up any idea of what's going to happen in the draft. The last in-person pre-draft event for the Jaguars football leadership was 2019 with Tom Coughlin, Dave Caldwell, and Doug Marone. Times have changed in so many ways since then. Trent Baalke was in charge of seven drafts with the San Francisco 49ers from 2010 to 2016 and now enters his second draft as GM of the Jags. We worry about our board and how we have players valued. Uh, I really don't pay much attention to what other people are thinking we're saying because you don't know you don't know what's fact you don't know what's fiction at this point but this is is a a unique period where I think there's there's a lot of guys that are are valued very similar Uh, the quarterback position is what it is this year so it'll be interesting how the top 10 lay out when it's all said and done Doug Peterson looks ahead to his first draft as the Jaguars head coach well from the coaching standpoint of it I mean there's so much collaboration honestly and so many meetings and and, you know, as, as a staff, we look at the film along with Trent and his guys. They look at the film and we come together and, and just have, you know, numerous conversations about everything. And so, you know, that's where we become more closely ingrained on, on, on players, you know, in the, in the talent level. And, and um, you know, so that to me has been, I think, the, the, the number one thing that's really, you know, in this whole process, right? It's just that communication that we've had uh, from from my staff, you know, the coaches, and then obviously the personnel side. Do you guys already know who you're going to be picking, or is that still a work in progress? That's still a work in progress. <laughs> How is it still a work in progress? I mean, last year it was a slam dunk. Is it not a slam dunk this year? It's still a work in progress. What 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 what's the progress? What's the process from here until? draft time to try well, to get that settled we still have we still have several meetings to go through uh, a lot of discussion between the coaching staff uh, the personnel staff uh, we're, we're, we're continuing to dig up and do do research on these guys uh, you know the pick doesn't have to be made today so there's no sense in forcing it right now we've got plenty of time we've got a we're, we're ahead of last year's schedule in terms of preparation uh, we've worked hard to get there, uh, but you know the decision doesn't have to be made right now. So why make it? Just how different is this year? You know, just in comparison to last year, having the number one overall pick in, in terms of you know the work still had to be done for the number one pick, but it was a pretty wide consensus it was going to be Trevor. So this year it seems more kind of up in the air. Yeah, I think you go in every year though. Even last year, you go in, you do you you do your due diligence. Uh, you work hard. You. You bring in all the information, gather as many facts as you can, put it together, and make decisions off of those. But you know, there's so much that goes into these decisions that you know it's not just the film; it's it's all the other things that go into that guy having success or not having success. Most of the time, they don't fail because they're not physically gifted; they fail for other reasons. So, making sure that we've done all of our due diligence in those areas is critical to the decision-making process. 
And then, Doug, just from the coaching side and your perspective, how important is it, you know, for that number one overall pick to kind of be, you know, kind of, it might be cliche, but, you know, instant impact guy right away. You know, somebody can rely on the come day one. Yeah, I mean, you better be right, and, and that person, you know, is going to come in and, and start. I mean, that's why, you, that's why you pick them at one, you know, whether you're picking first overall or, in our case, a couple years ago, second overall, and we moved ourselves up in the draft to do that. I mean, they're going to be guys that are going to get in the mix right away. The full press conference archives available on Jaguars.com or Jaguars social media. So who do the Jaguars select Thursday night? Only time will tell, but earlier this week, NFL Network analyst Bucky Brooks joined John Osier and me on the Huddle Up podcast. This week, we had a discussion of offensive line building philosophy and what it could mean for the Jaguars at number one overall. Teams are looking at offensive line a little differently. You don't necessarily have to, f- have to follow that Cowboys model of uh, three or four number one draft picks. Teams are now looking at you can build an offensive line with the idea that it's as good as its worst part, meaning as long as you don't have a breakdown guy as your fifth guy, that you don't necessarily need elite guys with an offensive line. You're probably better served to speak about that than me, but talk me through that concept because it makes a little sense to me. So the theory and the principle is no tomato cans. Like the one thing that you can have is you don't necessarily need all A pluses around the board. But you can't have any Fs. You can't have any, like, noticeable weak links where everyone in the stadium knows that this guy is the tomato can. Because he's he the guy the getting your quarterback is, hit if he's a weak He's the link. one that's going to get your, your, your quarterback killed. But, and I think a lot of it sometimes depends on the level of quarterback that you have behind that offensive line. Let's look at the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl, the Cincinnati Bengals, who everyone in the NFL knows that they were struggling on the offensive line. They were a Super Bowl participant, and some could say reasonably they should have won the Super Bowl. They were three minutes away from winning the Super Bowl with an offensive line that didn't have any notable players and had some weak links. The L.A. Rams also don't have any stars on their offensive line. For as, as much as we made the Super Bowl about Andrew Whitworth and his farewell song and that, they didn't have any great players on that offensive line. But the quarterback play was terrific. But then when you cast your gaze out outside on the perimeter, there were a bunch of stars, a lot of star power for the Rams on the perimeter. Cooper Cup, OBJ, uh, the Cincinnati Bengals, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, all those players. And so now what you're saying is if I have a good court, an A-plus quarterback, I have really good skill guys. If my offensive line is just okay where they can get in the way, that might be good enough to be able to get it done. And that's why in the pecking order of marquee positions, I think there's been a shift. It used to be where you had to have the quarterback, the elite left tackle, the pass rusher, and those things. Now I believe it's the four Ps, but in this order. It's passer, pass rushers, playmakers. And those playmakers are typically passing game playmakers, wide receivers. And then it's the pass protector. I don't even know if it's necessary to have an elite cornerback in today's game. But if you got those P's accounted for, you have a chance to put yourself in position because look at the teams that are playing deep in the tournament. I don't know if all of those guys had those auxiliary positions um, at an A level. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, especially even sort of playing off your off your cornerback comment. To me, drafting a safety or a corner high anymore. If you've got an offense where the quarterback can get rid of the ball and the wide receivers have time to make plays, cornerbacks only matter for about 3.5 seconds or four seconds, then these guys are getting open because the rules are so skewed mm. toward offense. I do agree. I think, we're seeing a, I think we're seeing a huge shift and getting back to the offensive line point. 
I wonder if that's not playing a little bit into the decision at the top. That yes, you know, the offensive line here has been maligned for so long. I don't think it's a bad offensive line. I've said for years, the Colts' offensive lines that I covered were good. They weren't great. They were no tomato cans, but they didn't have – Jeff Saturday was a pro bowler, but he was a, he was a pro bowler unsavvy and experienced. He was a center. But it wasn't an elite mm-hmm. offensive line because Peyton knew how to get rid of the ball and get them into plays. They could take advantage of what they could do. Now, is Joe Burrow Peyton? No. If you have a quarterback who can get rid of the ball timely – not have the pass rush be as much of a factor, not take huge sacks when there's a breakdown, I think you can get by with that uh, no tomato can theory. It makes perfect sense to me. And on that front, I I just personally believe the Jaguars' offensive line is fine if if there's functioning players around it. The Huddle Up podcast runs each Wednesday on the Jaguars.com podcast page and the official Jaguars podcast network. And Bucky will be on site with us for the NFL draft in less than a week now. He'll join our coverage throughout draft weekend. We're looking forward to his insight as always. You can see it on Jaguars.com or you can be here in person with us. The Jags will host the 2022 Duval Draft Party presented by Baptist Health. It's this Thursday night, April 20. The gates open at 6 o'clock at Daly's Place. Enjoy live draft analysis and onstage appearances by head coach Doug Peterson and select Jaguars players. And then, of course, stick around for the draft. Our live analysis on Jaguars.com will come right after the Jaguars' first round pick. Register for tickets now at Jaguars.com slash official draft party. When we return, quarterbacks coach Mike McCoy on getting back in the league. Plus, defensive line coach Brinson Buckner is still a dancing machine. All that after this. Jags fans, fill your wallet with one debit card that screams Duval exclusively from TIAA Bank. The Jacksonville Jaguars Visa debit card comes with a fierce look and fantastic features so you can pay with pride wherever you go. And it's yours free when you open a Yield Pledge checking account. Up your financial game today. Visit a financial center near you or find us at TIAABank.com slash Jagscard. TIAA Bank is a division of TIAA, FSB, member FDIC, and the official bank of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Welcome back to the Jaguars broadcast weekend review podcast presented by TIAA Bank. The Jaguars are future focused and ready for a new look in 2022. Join us at the bank this season as head coach Doug Peterson and quarterback Trevor Lawrence lead the charge. Lock in your seats at jaguars.com slash tickets or call 904-633-2000. Defensive line coach Brinson Buckner stopped by Jaguars Happy Hour Radio Thursday afternoon, and we had plenty to discuss. He played 12 years in the league, and he's been coaching in the league just about as long now. We needed answers to really important questions. Are you still big man dancing, by the way? We, we found the video on YouTube the other day, and um, there was a promo on like NFL Network yes. in the uh, mid-2000s, I guess, when the network started. You had just, I think, finished playing or towards mm-hmm. the end of your career. And there you go, dancing across the stage. Oh, yeah, I still dance. That's All great D-linemen are skillful dancers. You know, I mean, that's a talent you got to have to be a good defensive line. You know, bad, slow feet don't eat. You know what I mean? You got you got to stay up on your feet. But I'm always doing it. I got three younger kids, so there's always some kind of TikTok dance going on in the house. And, you know, growing up a lot, I danced a lot, party around. You know, I'm not the average big guy. You know, I mean, I actually think I sort of grew into this bottom like a DB or wide receiver that just found found out he liked eating a lot too, <laughs> and that took over. So it sort of changed my destiny, you know, going down the line. But yes, I I dance every now and then. We're not going to ask for it now. We'll uh, we'll wait until <laughs> the practice field and all that. I'm sure we'll we'll see it uh, come out. 
So uh, let's get to your group now that you've inherited. You said the first thing you do is look at free agents. Then you pop in, hey, what do you have here on the team? At what point when you're up for a job or you know you might be up for a job and then you land the job, do you get into the tape of what you have? And and what did you inherit on the defensive line here? Are you always, you know, before taking a job or if your name is mentioned in a job, oh, let's, let's go see what's in the cupboard. You know what I mean? And, you know, going and looking and actually this year, had some insight because we actually played Jacksonville, yeah. you know, being in Arizona. And, and you see the guys, uh, Roy Robinson Harris, a guy that I've admired since he was in Chicago, you know, a guy who was a outside linebacker defensive end, finally grew into his body now becoming an interior defensive lineman. Davon was a guy at um, Ohio State that I did plenty of background checks on and talking to him and interviewing him when he came out. Malcolm Brown has been a player since he's been in this league, you know, playing nose guard, disruptive three technique. Um, I, I've had – You had Arden Key. I had Arden Key, free yes. agent pickup. I had him yeah. as Oakland as a second, second yeah. guy, as a uh, second-year player. Yeah. And, you know, Arden has really developed – you know, over time now he's coming into being that player that a lot of people thought he was going to be coming out of LSU. Mm-hmm. And he's matured a lot. And, you know, the violence and the smart and wish he's played. And then, you know, you start throwing in the free agents. And I'd like to go to Jay, Jay Toffoli. Yeah. You know, I went to his pro day, you know, doing, doing COVID and worked him out. So I got a lot of knowledge being around these guys. And what I found out, you got a good group, got a good group of guys. You know, and I told them from day one, it's no magic trick to being successful, and it's not an easy procedure. You know, we got to come in. First of all, you got to you got to identify and claim what you did wrong. You got to you got to own it. You got to own it now. Let's go correct it because all the time as a D line, you want to be the foundation. And I use this analogy all the time. People, you drive by and see beautiful homes. Everybody want to talk about the decorations, what the paint looked like, the roof. Don't nobody remember the guys out there that was cultivating the ground, laying the foundation, making sure it was sturdy enough to build this house. And that's what the defensive line is. And what we got to do is eliminate the cracks and get rid of all the bad pieces so when we lay this foundation, Mike is going to be able to build a defense that can stand the test of time because the defensive line has to be the sturdy foundation. Brenton, I'm not going to ask you about um, you know individual prospects. That's not fair. But I- I'm curious about the process of evaluating mm-hmm. those prospects. When yeah, there's the combine. You're looking at tape from the last couple of years, all that, and then they come in for visits. We- we've seen the names reported that have uh, allegedly come through here. So, what do you want to find out in that day that they're in the building? That you are you just filling in holes in the evaluation with them? Do you just want to sit them down? How much time do you get with some of these guys when they come in? What do you want to know? Personally, I want to feel out if I like you or not. I don't want to coach somebody I don't like and I don't want to be around because, you know, we spend so much time together, so you got to have that relationship type of guy. I don't want no jerks. I don't want to sit there and coach nobody that he don't like me, I don't like him, we don't have nothing in common. So really when a guy comes to sit with me, I pretty much know what you can do as a football player. I talk to you and see how you respond. You know, do you have tough skin? Do you laugh? What you like to do? Do you got a family? What drives you? Because me as a coach, I got to know all those variables before I coach you. It's not just you walking here, I coach you, and you go home. I got to know if you if something wrong with you, something happened at home. I got to be able to know that, and I got to I got to be sensitive to that because I tell these guys all the time when when you sit in that room as a final Jaguar. I've entrusted everybody in this organization 
with their job, and I gave it to you because I told Doug and I told Trent, this guy can help us win. Same thing, you got to entrust your family to me that I can give you everything you need to take care of your family. And so I want to see those guys who are going to be ready to reciprocate that. You know, and some guys coming here be great talent, but I'm like, I don't really want to coach this guy because he's going to be a me guy. You know, in my room, it's going to be us. You know, on this team, it's going to be us. And so when I, you sit down with him, you get that, then when you go back to Doug and Trent, hey, he's, he's a Jaguar. He's an us guy. It's all about what can he do for the team. He wants to be a star in his role. He don't have to be the, the main attraction. Like I, I tell the guys in the room, Tito Jackson he never led a song, but he got every Grammy that Michael got when he was at Jackson 5. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> he got every – He got every, so sometimes you have to be the background singer. You're going to get all the awards. You might not get to hold the mic, but you get all the benefits, and those are the guys that you really want. When you're a team, it's about the, it's, it's about the team. Yes, there were one, two, three, four, five in the Jackson Five last I checked, right? Yes. Yes. That's a, it's a team effort for sure. <laughs> Jaguars Happy Hour Radio airs Thursdays at 4 o'clock on 1010XL AM or the Jaguars social channels, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Now to Jags Drive Time Tuesday morning. Ashlyn Sullivan, John Osher, and Brian Sexton visited with veteran tight end Chris Manhurts, who loves the changes around the organization and what they could mean for the Jaguars tight ends. Um, I could just tell just the energy of guys in the building, the coaches. Um, Coach Peterson is, is obviously his resume speaks for itself. Um, and, and having a championship pedigree and, um, you know, the work that he has put in it. As a player, it's just exciting to be around it. Mm-hmm. Now you're known as, as a uh, run-blocking tight end, but you also have clearly receiving capabilities. Doug Peterson, known for that position, known for getting the most out of that position, how excited are you about that, and how do you feel like you can uh, benefit from that? Oh, I'm very excited. Um, you know, you, you see a guy that heavily uh, utilizes tight ends in his offense, um, and, and they're an integral part of the offense. I think it's good for our room. Um, we obviously have uh, me, Dan Arnold, um, Evan, Luke, um, and I think it's it's very complimentary for us to work off of each other and, and whatever the scheme entails for us in that particular week or you know, even so for this year. You mentioned Evan Ingram. Press Taylor last week was mentioning how he can tell how in tune he is to the offense already by the questions he's asking. And now you've been in a meeting room with him for about a week. What have you seen out of him? Yeah, exactly that. Um, I think uh, right at this point in time, we're all just trying to get a grasp of, of the offense and the nuance that comes with the offense. But um, those type of questions, just being engaged, it, it can only help us in the, you know, by the time the season starts. Mm-hmm. What do you like about the offense in terms of uh, Jaguars fans, I think, have seen it. They saw it in Philadelphia a little bit. But how do you feel like it's going to fit the personnel you have here? I think it's very uh, complimentary. And what I mean by that is that it's it's pretty much tailored by uh, what the players can bring to the table. And that has also been a point of emphasis for us as an offense and and what coach wants. It's going to be tailored to to the skill sets, the best skill sets on this team. So – um, for me as a player, you can't really go wrong with that. Jags Drive Time airs Tuesday at 10 o'clock on Jaguars.com. Mike McCoy back in the NFL explaining his quarterback coach role after this. Welcome back. Let's wrap this week with Jaguars quarterbacks coach Mike McCoy. He's the former head coach of the then San Diego Chargers and has offensive coordinator experience in the league. After a few years away from football, he's back and explained why on the Ozone podcast with senior writer John Osier. Why here? Why now? Why the Jaguars? Well, first of all, I'd like to say is the last couple of years, um, I wouldn't trade for anything. I mean, this is kind of a little shout out to my wife and my kids is that 
you know, as a football coach, mm-hmm. there's a huge commitment to the organization, to your team, to your players, to the fans, and you miss a lot of things with your family. You know, the weekends, being on the road, traveling, um, you know, getting ready for the draft. There's so many things that happen during the year, especially as a head coach, mm-hmm. that I've missed so many things. And the past couple of years of time I've spent with my family. I mean, I've got a Hall of Fame wife in Kelly. She's the best. You know, I've been very successful in this business, and I couldn't have done it without her. Right. Um, and then my kids, Liv, who's a, a senior at University of Arizona. My son's a sophomore in college and living in San Diego. Um, to be able to do the things with them, um, you know, the dad's weekend at Arizona, mm-hmm. all the things I've done with Luke, um, it's just been – I've had a time in my life doing that with them. But as each year's gone on, and they know this um, – I've got a little antsy each year. The first year was easy. Then the next year was kind of like, hey, we got to get back into it. And then, you know, an opportunity like this came up, um, having known Doug for a long time um, and the type of coach he is, um, the type of leader he is, to be able to work for somebody like that uh, was a great opportunity to come in. And, um, you know, to see an organization that has a quarterback like Trevor, Mm -hmm. the opportunity to work with someone who's so talented as he is young in his career, uh, it was just a great opportunity to work with good people. Um, and Doug's done a great job of putting a great staff together. So we've enjoyed our short amount of time we've been together so far. And I'm going to assume that that uh, is a conversation you've had with Doug, who sort of had the same opportunity last year to be away from it for a while. Mm-hmm. I've been around a lot of coaches, and there are coaches who get into it at 20 and I retire at 65 and never have that opportunity. So that's pretty unique. Uh, both of you guys are coming off of that. Yeah, you know, you, you always want to um, you know, take the right job. Mm-hmm. When you look at certain things, you look at it, don't just take any job, take the right job. And when Doug first called me, you know, and, and talked to me about possibly joining him this year, mm-hmm. you know, I was so excited to be able to get back to work with someone like Doug, um, someone I, like I've mentioned before, I've known for a while. Um, he's been very successful, uh, both, you know, won Super Bowls as a player and as a coach, the type of person he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew it was just a great opportunity that I couldn't pass up. Having been a head coach, you see things almost from above sometimes that you don't see as an assistant. Mm-hmm. Um, how would that shape you as a coach in general, and then how will it help you in the position of uh, quarterback coach? Well, I was very fortunate when I was the head coach in San Diego that I had Ken Wisenhunt on my staff, a former head coach. Um, there's so many things that come across your desk when you are the head coach that you know you always want to run some things by at times for other people have had the experience mm-hmm. of being a head coach, and not everyone's done that. So Things come up, so if there's ever anything I could do to help uh, anybody in the organization with anything, with my experience, uh, I think I'd be a great asset to the organization. And I think throughout all the years that I've coached in different roles, from the quality control days, quarterback days in Carolina, to the coordinator days, to head coaching days, I've done a little bit of everything. Sure. So um, I've seen the good and the bad. One, a lot, you know, there's been a lot of great seasons. There's been some tough seasons. Mm-hmm. Been part of, you know, some season you kind of start looking around going you know what is going on how do we change these things and then the rewards of turning organizations around um so i've you know i've been very fortunate to be around some great players and some great coaches and to learn i think you take we all kind of look back over your career and you take a little bit from each person you've been around both players and coaches and figure out in today's position you know how can i be the best coach for the jacksonville jaguars and help this team be great how did wisenhunt uh help you the most well, there's just certain thing, you know, you become a head coach for the first time and you think you have this great plan and then all of a sudden <laughs> something comes across your desk and you're like, wait, hold on a second. Or then you play uh, a game, right? Yeah, it, well, yeah, <laughs> we haven't even played any games yet and all these things are coming across my – I've got to answer this question. 
you know, isn't the PR department supposed to take care of that? Mm-hmm. No. Well, you're the head coach. You need to help us on this. Or, uh, you know, you look in um, when you're feeding the players. Mm-hmm. Certain issues come up with the food. The players come around and say, hey, can we get this? Can we get that? And, you know, okay, well, I'm the head football coach. And you got to do it. <laughs> There's so many other things that come up. Yeah. So it's just great to have somebody on your staff that's been there, done that. Um, and because you're always looking, you know, what what is best for the football team? Mm-hmm. You know, how can we help these players be successful? And that's the number one thing. The Ozone Podcast available on the podcast page at the top of the homepage at jaguars.com or where all our podcasts live, the official Jaguars Podcast Network on iHeartRadio, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcasts. We love feedback, yes, so leave us a comment and a five-star rating. Enjoy the weekend, and thanks for listening. I'm J.P. Shadrick. We'll catch you next week on the Jaguars Broadcast Week in Review podcast presented by TIAA Bank.